Good morning, Mission View. It's good to have everyone here today, and it's good to be so focused on our Savior. That's the intent of all the worship, is that we would draw all praise and glory to his name. Um, Today we're going to be taking a look in in the Word, and the first passage we'll look at, I'll give you an advanced head start, is Matthew 16, verse 18. We'll look at that here in a little bit. I believe everyone enjoys a good engagement story, because with an engagement story comes a love story. Now, a couple weeks ago, we were on an elders retreat. This is something that we will do annually. These are the elders, the leaders of this ministry. Um, And we were together, and for Thursday and Friday, the men were together, and we were praying for every single one of you. Um, We did that as couples as well. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But uh, we also did planning and prayer and planning for the future, just seeking the Lord's face, saying, Lord, what is it that you want for Mission View? I'll share a few of those things today in the message. Anyways, as we were doing that, uh, or Friday night, the ladies came down and And by the time they came down, we were done with the planning, but we were able to have some time of prayer with our wives, to look at the Word, for us also to enjoy each other and just have uh, play some games. And then we did, on Saturday, we went and did some glorious shopping. There is nothing that speaks love to a man than going from one shop to another. It was glorious. Um, but on Friday night, as we're playing cards, uh, all of a sudden, uh, somebody says, well, how did you get engaged? And then it started. The love stories were flowing in terms of, of how each person met and how they got engaged. Now, we learn from each other through that. Now, you have the chance to learn from the other elders. I challenge you to go ahead and ask them their engagement stories, or if you want the accurate picture, ask the wives. But uh, since my wife can't speak for us today, I'm going to go ahead and share on her behalf how Lee and I met, or actually how we got engaged. You see, Lee and I, we were, had dated for about four years. The picture on on your your right is almost our first date. That's when we met. And then this was just before we got engaged. You could tell I had the Don Johnson look at that time, if you remember Miami Vice. Okay, it was really cool then, Uh, not now. But anyways, uh, we had dated for four years, and it was time to either put up or move on. At least I think that was uh, the thought process in Leanne's mind, and I thought, I'm going to put up. And I want you to know that I put up in a big way because I went out and bought a, a very, very expensive engagement ring from Montgomery Wards for $299. You could almost see the diamond. You really could. By the way, you laugh, but that diamond lasted us for 25 years. I re-upped on our 25th, and uh, I added a zero to that. Okay, anyways, uh, so she has something bigger on her finger. Anyways, I don't know why that's important, but it's important. But on that day, I was a poor college student, and I was going to give it to her on Christmas Eve and when we exchanged gifts. The only problem was all my money was gone. So I had nothing else to give Leanne, and I had to do something to build up. And then I got this inspired vision. Where it came from, I don't know, but it was an inspired vision that I would give her some of my vintage treasures from my dorm room. In other words, my junk, uh, my trash in my dorm room. So the first thing I wrapped up 
was an old sweat-stained sweat intramural t-shirt. Honest to goodness, I gave it to her and I thought, you know what, what she's going to love about this is that she could just smell my scent every night as she's going to bed and just think of me. The second thing I gave her was unused offering envelopes. Now I want you to know there's nothing that speaks love than the gift of being able to give a gift to the Lord, okay? This is what I gave her. And then I also gave her some Brother Andrew books. Now, I had never read Brother Andrew. I don't even know anybody that has ever read Brother Andrew. But I figured this might help her become a godly wife someday. So this, I gave this to her. And my fourth most prized possession was my lobster claw harmonica. Okay, I honestly, I'm not embellishing this stuff. This is how your pastor thinks. At least I did. And I gave her this, and I thought she could serenade me because she was more musically talented than I was. Now, I want you to know that even though these gifts weren't all that great, once she opened that huge rock, that all those other gifts were absolutely forgotten. And that's how we got engaged. Now, you can ask the other elders and find out their stories, and I'm glad that I'm sure that they would be happy to tell you. But here's what I find about an engagement story. The story doesn't get old. It's always incredible telling about how, how we fell in love and how we captured that love and secured that love through engagement. And you know what? Telling that story doesn't get old, even for the guy. Because it's probably the first time in their life and maybe the last time that they were actually suave and romantic and they actually planned something out. And so for them, it's like recounting an old historic sporting event that's worth retelling again. Yeah, I could tell that story. Today, we're going to, as we continue on in our lesson, lessons on the pursuit, we're going to take a look at God's love story with the church actually his engagement with the church and i don't know if you know this but someday there will be a wedding day and it talks about it in revelations 9 where the bride of christ will be united with the savior that we spoke about and the bride of christ is the church and we're going to look at that so far in the pursuit, just by way of review, we've talked about how we come into a relationship. We realize we need a Savior. We come into that relationship with Jesus. And as we do, we start to imitate him. We start to learn about him. We become a disciple. And as we become a disciple, we learn that there are some things that he mandates that happen with his followers, things that we must be obedient in. Number one, we need to be obedient in baptism. Jesus didn't say, oh, I suggest you do this. He says, this is a command that you be baptized so that you will identify with me in my death and that you would be raised up out of the water to show that you walk in newness of life. It is a testimony that he requires. We've learned that we are to grow up into God's word. Pastor Brian challenged us that we need to have someone ahead of us and someone behind us, two people. Do you have those people in your life that you're learning from and that you're pouring into? Because this is how we continue to make disciples. And last week we talked about the other side of the coin of, of learning God's word is exercising God's word in the use of our gifts. We know in physical exercise to have a healthy body, we need to eat right, we need, a physical, we have, need to have physical exercise. 
spiritually it's true as well. And now today, we're going to look at how all these things are cultivated in this thing called the church or the bride of Christ. And we're going to look at how vital the church is. Now, I believe this is a pivotal message for us at Mission View because I'm convinced that there are many believers that really do not understand the church. Because if they understood the church, there would be a different approach in the way that they take to the church. There are some people that have a take it or leave it mentality. Oh, I could take church. I mean, yeah, if it feels good, they might come once a month or maybe twice a month if you're lucky. But it's just a mentality of church is just an option. I believe there are those that have that mentality. There are those that have a a mentality of, I'm going to stay kind of far away from church because I've been burnt by church. I've had bad church experiences. So therefore, I'm just going to kind of distance myself in a commitment in what's going on. And as a result, they might do home church or they might do church on the golf course. Yes, I can worship the Lord as I tee off every week. And then there are some people that have an approach to church where it's, I'm going to come and I'm going to get, but I'm really not thinking about giving. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to tithe there. I'm not going to give financially. I'm going to be and enjoy the benefits. And then there's the connoisseur of the church. The connoisseurs are saying, I'm going to, there's so many churches around us. I'm going to go ahead and pick the best church for the place I am in life. So if they have an excellent children's ministry, I'll go to that church. But when I'm done with my kids in children's ministry and there's junior high ministry and this guy, this church down the road has a better one, I'll go there and so on and so forth. And so I believe that there's wrong mentalities. Listen up. My friends, if we have God's understanding of the church, then this will drastically, drastically affect the way that we approach this thing called the church, the bride of Christ. And my desire is that we would seriously look at that today and that we would come onto the same page, God's page, and understand what the church is about. So we have two objectives this morning. Number one, I want us to look at how the church began, God's love story. And second, I want us to understand the role that the church is to have today. So let's ask God to really do something special. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, would you help us to see what your word says and help our life to come into alignment to to your word and help us to see what is on your heart. In Christ's name, amen. Let's talk about the love story of God. I believe that the church was a new idea in the New Testament and it was introduced to us by Jesus Christ himself. Now, some scholars would say that the church did exist in the Old Testament. It was Israel. Israel just evolved into the church, but I totally disagree with that on many reason, for many reasons. But one of the main reasons is that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, in writing about the thesis of the church and what it's all about, he said the church was a mystery. Now, biblically speaking, this is knowledge for you, biblically speaking, a mystery was something that was previously unknown but now was revealed so what was previously unknown was the church it was brand new in the new testament it did not exist before jesus brought it up in matthew chapter 16 verse 18 and so when jesus brings up this verse 
uh, let me give you the context of it, and then we'll look at it in the passage, and it'll also be uh, you, in your Bibles or on the screen. What Jesus has done is he's done all these miracles. He's been in ministry for over two, two and a half years. And now he says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And then Peter acts as the spokesperson on behalf of the disciples and says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's who you are. Now, based on this great proclamation that was given, this great confession given by the disciples, Jesus then makes a prediction in regards to the church. And he says this to Peter. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which was his official name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, that was his nickname, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now for the disciples, this was a bit of a confusing statement, this idea of church, ecclesia. See, the word church, ecclesia, meant a called-out assembly. Now, they knew of Jewish assemblies. They knew of pagan assemblies. But they didn't really understand the idea of a Jesus assembly. And what Jesus is laying the foundation for is for a, a called-out group of people, community, that would be completely abandoned to the cause of Jesus Christ in this thing known as the church. Now, please note that uh, Jesus was not saying that the church was going to be built on Peter. Some people look at that phraseology there and they think, oh, yeah, Peter was kind of the first, the first patriarch of the church. He was, uh, the church was built upon him. No, no, no. A careful look at the words and you realize it was upon the confession of Peter that upon his confession that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, the church would be built on the Messiah. Jesus Christ. And we know that because of the words he used. He says, you are Peter. Now for you and I, the word Peter doesn't mean a whole lot, but it actually means in the original language, Petra, which is little rock. Peter, you're the little rock. You made this confession, you're the little rock. But upon this rock, and he uses a totally different word. He goes from a feminine noun to a masculine noun. And he says, upon this rock, Petros, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he was referring to himself as the Messiah, which is the rock, the solid foundation to our church. And my friends, this is why everything we do points to Jesus Christ. Because he is the solid foundation of Mission View Church. Now this is where the love story began. I want you to know it continued on. Fast forward to his death, burial, and resurrection. And after he rises from the dead, he tells to his disciples, to his Christ followers, to members, future members of the church, he says, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gives the marching orders. Then we go to the time of his ascension uh, several days later. And when he's just before he ascends he tells his disciples okay listen i'm going to give you some geographical coordinates here 
When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, just like the song we sang. And when that power comes upon you, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. He's saying this is the geographical direction you are to go. And so we see this happen. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus ascends. Acts chapter 2 happens. Peter preaches a message. The Holy Spirit comes down. There's revival. There's 3,000 people that come to faith in Christ. And almost immediately, guess what is formed? The church. They start meeting together and they start studying God's word. They start uh, examining the apostles' teaching. They start sharing bread with one another. They start sharing lives with one another. They're selling their possessions. They're meeting in community and some incredible things are happening. And as a result of all this happening, the synergy that was happening within the church, all of a sudden other people started coming to faith in Christ and we see the church explode. See, this is beautiful what happens. And then we see after this in Acts, we see the progression of the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, just like Jesus spoke about. We see the landscape colored with the gospel. Now I want you to know that the church had its problems back then, just like it does now. The church had its problems, and, and that's probably, actually, it's why three-quarters of the New Testament was written. The Apostle Paul was given the administration of the church, and so he's writing to the Colossians, he's writing to the Corinthians, he's writing to the Ephesians or the Galatian church, and he is writing to correct some things that were wrong, to affirm other things that were right, and so he wanted to do that. Why did Jesus do that? Why did, why did he create this environment? for the church because my friend he loves the church that he gave all the tools he gave the word of god so that the church could have direction he gave us the holy spirit the power of the holy spirit to work in our lives and he also gave godly leadership to help correct to train to uh, to exhort and to help us along that's why he did it but why did he do it because it's his bride it is his future wife. And it says in Ephesians that he wants to present his wife without stain, wrinkle, or blemish. He wants to present us someday. God the Father will present us before the Son where there will be the marriage, where we'll be one with Christ. And he cares and adores for the church. That's what he's given us. Now, this is the basis. This is the love story of the church. My question today is, if we fast forward to, to right now, here's my question. Have we made the church something different than God has intended it to be? Have we made the church something different? I fear that along the way, in a sense, we may have Americanized the church. David Platt, in his book called Radical, I would highly recommend it, says this. He says, I am convinced that we, as Christ followers in American churches, have embraced values and ideas that are not only unbiblical, but that actually contradict the gospel we claim to believe. And I am convinced we have a choice. He goes on. We are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. 
I want us to think about that for a minute. How have we approached the church? This is so vital for us to really examine this so that we have a proper understanding. I'm going to show a, a short video right now. And in this video, it's going to show a shift of what has been to what should be, and I want it to be in our church. It's going to use the term missional. And all that means is that we are on God's mission, that we're doing what he wants Let's look at this before we understand the role of the church. This is the missional church. Simple. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music, compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, what about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh web page and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. So what is the church to be? I want to, what I want to do is I want to take a look at several scripture passages. I want you to know as I started out in preparation this week, I was going to pick one passage, camp out there, because we believe in expositional preaching, meaning we want to go line by line through a passage. But I, I felt like the Lord laid on various passages on my heart as I did a study, and I felt like I needed to do that. So we're going to take a, a walk through the New Testament, and we're going to look at six roles that arise out of various scripture passages. You might mark down the scripture passages and look at them later if you're taking notes. Number one, the church is under the command of Christ. This is really a role of submission, submission under Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, And he is the head of the body, the church, talking about Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. Now, the book of Colossians is all written about the superiority of Jesus Christ. In this verse, we see something that is absolutely essential for us to understand today. Because Jesus conquered death, he is rightfully the one who is the Lord, the head over the church. He is the head. 
And interestingly, the word church here is not talking about just the Colossian church, but it's a reference to the universal church. Now, what's the universal church? The universal church is every church that proclaims God's word and holds to salvation in Christ and Christ alone. He is saying he is over or head over the entire body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Meaning that the head, Jesus, loves the body. Can you imagine the head saying, I don't like that hand, but I like that hand. This hand is, this foot is horrible, but this foot is great. He doesn't do that. It's his body. He enjoys every aspect of the body of Christ. Now what this tells us and what we learn from this, since we are under the submission of Christ, it means that we are to do the same thing as Christ, which means that we should love and cherish the various expressions of the body of Christ. Oh, wait a second, Pastor Steve, you don't understand. There are some churches that have doctrinal distinctions that I don't agree with. Okay, but that doesn't mean we don't love them. We don't speak in tongues here. But I don't care if somebody, if there's another church that speaks in tongues. That's a doctrinal distinctive. They have to obey God's word. There might be individuals that, uh, that speak in a prayer language. You know what? That's not my issue. My issue is that as the body of Christ, we don't divide ourselves by distinctives, but we unite ourselves under the word of God and is the gospel being proclaimed. Because if Jesus loves the body, we're to love the body. We're to do that. That's the way that we are to be in the body of Christ. Now, it's interesting. I've seen in our history, in our geography, a deep hatred towards other churches. Some people would say that's a little strong. Well, let's call it a silo mentality. It's about our church and our church alone. Now, believe me, I want you to love Mission View Church. I want you to be, I want you to trumpet the cause of Christ and, and invite people and, 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 and bring them to church. But I want you to know we're not the only church. In the very first church that I served in, I was 22 years of age, getting started, my wife and I in ministry, just getting our feet wet. And I started hearing a phrase from our senior pastor. He used to say, we are the best disciple-making ministry east of the Mississippi. He would even go on to say, there are no other churches that disciple east of the Mississippi. Now, when I was young and inexperienced, I just wrote that off as, we got a good thing going on here. But after nine years of hearing that from the lead pastor, the Spirit of God started disturbing me within, especially when I saw our attitude towards other bodies or expressions of the bride of Christ. I saw hatred, and I realized that should not be anywhere. And my friends, this is why at this church we pray for other churches up here. We want you to know that we believe in what God is doing at the chapel in North Canton. We believe what God is doing at First Christian Church and at New Point Church. We believe what's going on, and we, we're a part of the bride of Christ. The hand cannot say to the other hand, I hate you. I don't love you. We are going to be bound in the love of Christ. This is what Jesus said in John 17. That if there's a unity within the body of Christ, then the world will know that he is true.
we move on. And you can say something if you're in agreement here, okay? I want you to know that. Role number two, because I'm just getting started. The church is God's instrument to display his glory. Now, these two, first two are kind of big picture. Uh, for Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. The, it's God's instrument to display his glory. It says this. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. I want you to think about this verse. Now, in January, we're going to expositionally go through Ephesians starting in January. So we'll understand the big picture more later. But for right now, there's a a vital uh, lesson for us to learn. What God is using is the church to display his brilliance to the heavenly world. Now, let's tear it apart for a minute. The word manifold refers to the beauty of an embroidered pattern pattern, or a field of colorful flowers. This is linked to the previous verses where he says, the Jew and the Gentile will be one in this thing called the church. In other words, the multi-color of each nation woven into the fabric of the church and the unity all of the nations forms a testimony to the angelic world, both to the demonic and to the heavenly, that God is incredibly wise, brilliant, and intelligent. This thing here is a marvel, how we can have so many different walks of life come together. And I want you to know it's him and him alone that gets the glory. You see, the danger happens when we come in and we want to start building a name for ourselves. There are plenty of churches that sometimes I think get misguided when they just want to build up something big. My friends, everything in the scripture where they build something tall and for their name ends up being a disaster. Look at the Tower of Babel. It's not good. What we want is we want, and I hope this is the prayer of every church, is to have influence and not to draw attention to ourselves. One of the reasons why we have multiple pastors preaching up here is that I don't want you to hear just my voice. I'm nothing. Brian Persley is definitely nothing. But, pa- but Jesus Christ, the head, is something. And that's who Brian and I want you to hear from. We want you to hear from Jesus. And we're pr- making it our promise to try to hear what he has to say and bring forth the word. That's why our worship band, we don't have the guitar players doing the guitar solo and the drum solo and playing the guitar over their head and, you know, trying to make this into a rock concert. No, no. Every single one of the guys, uh, what I appreciate is they're trying to do everything they can to draw all attention to Jesus Christ. Now, you might be adjusting to the style. I'm glad we got someone from the South that finally brought a little bluegrass to town. That's good. I'm not bluegrass, but I like it. I'm getting to like it. But it's not about us. It's about the brilliant one. It's about Jesus Christ. We move on. Role number three. The church is to be the trophy of God's grace to a lost world and a pillar of truth in society. Two verses I want to bring out. 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, and you can see this on the screen. The church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. 
Now the context is he's talking about church leadership in 1 Timothy 3, and he brings it to the place, and he's letting the leaders know, I see this thing as this church as a pillar of truth. It is a buttress of truth. Then we see 1 Thessalonians 1.8. The Lord message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. See, from both of these passages, it tells us what should be true of the church. That the church is to be the pillar of truth in society, and our message should go out forth in boldness. And we have the example of the Thessalonian church here. What we have here is we first of all have someone like the Apostle Paul who was faithful to witness to that community and believers came about. And those people got so on fire for Jesus Christ, their message rang out and they started reaching out to surrounding communities. Notice the progression of discipleship, the contagiousness that our faith is to have. That's the example for us at Mission View. That's our marching orders. We are to take the word out. We are to be a part of society. And we are to have an influence from the inside out. As leaders, we met two weeks ago, and there was a few things the Lord laid on our hearts. Number one, for locally, what we want to see is each believer take the gospel to their immediate community, schools, and workplaces. Now, I shared a few weeks ago that our outreach plan is you. It's me. It's us living it out. And we want to help you. That's the reason why we're doing the MV Equip classes on Sundays during the, uh, during the commons time. What we want to do is help you uh, obtain that and be able to fulfill that mission. Today we have Mim Luton who's going to be sharing. I'm so excited about her heart because she's contagious about telling people about Christ. In Jan January, Pat Culpepper over here, the big bald one, can't miss him. Uh, he's going to be sharing about how you can take and make a marketplace ministry in the place of your occupation. Why are we doing that? Because we want you to be equipped to fulfill the mission of the church, the bride of Christ. That's what we're to do. But we also have aspirations abroad. We want to see people go to the field. In January, we're going to have three people as of right now go to Mexico. We have room for two more spots for those that would be interested. It's an incredible ministry partner in planning a church there. There are several that have been. Kristen Guthrie has been there. She can tell you all about it. Scott and Nikki Mickley can tell you about it. We want to get people to the field. There are other trips this year that I'll tell you later on about. We also want to see uh, the Lord's laid on our heart to have two distinct missions next year. We want to help develop a home in northern Thailand. I had New speak to you specifically so that you could understand the need that's in the world. Millions of girls are being trafficked. Children are being trafficked. we got to do something about that. We can't stand idle. We have to be a part of the mission. We are the hands and the body of Christ. That's what we're to do. The message is to ring out. We also want to come alongside of Pastor Ramazan and help plant a church in Alanya, city of 500,000 people, not a single evangelical church in that community. Think about that. A half a million people without the gospel. This is what we are to be. We move on. Rule number four, 
The church is a family. 1 Timothy 3.15. Look at this verse on the screen. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Now, he uses a word synonymous with church, and that is household. Now, think about your household. What's in your household? You, some households have a mom and a dad, have a, have a son and a daughter. Some have a grandparent, a, a, grand, a grandfather, grandmother. So there's various ages in this thing called the household and even our own life. My friends, this is why we need young and old in our church. We need that to be a part of the household. But you know what else is in a household? This probably isn't true in your household, but it's true in mine. There's arguing. Anybody have arguing that ever takes place in your household? Okay, thank you. But there's also laughing. There's pitching in, at least there should be pitching in. There's sticking up for each other. There's care for each other. My friends, this is how God says we're to operate. We're to be a family. We're to be a household. But here's what I fear. I fear that in the church, we have treated the family or God's church more like a restaurant establishment than we have a household. Can you imagine on Thanksgiving Day if you approached your family as a restaurant? Now you come in, you don't offer to help set the table, you don't offer to help prepare the food, you expect the food to come to you. And you're going to allow the food to be brought to the table, and then you're going to sit down after a word of prayer, you're going to eat and fill up your plate with all kinds of scrumptious food. And you take the sweet potatoes and say, a little sweet, don't you think? Cut the turkey and you say, it's a little dry. Mashed potatoes with the gravy, is a, it's a little salty. It's a little salty. Miss, miss, please come here. I would like a new plate of food, please. Now, if you did that in your home with your mom or your wife, what would happen to you? Your lips would be ripped off your face. That's what would happen to you. Uh, hey, Ma'am, I would like a comment card as well, okay, so I can uh, let management know what's happening here. And then they push away from the table when they're done, and then they go, they don't take their sink to the, the, the plate to the sink. They just go and watch football and let everybody wait on them. Believe it or not, there are some that would approach the church in the same way. I'm going to come. I'm going to allow you to bring everything to me, and I'm, if I don't like it, if I don't like the children's ministry, I'm going to let you know about that. If I don't like something that's happening in the youth ministry, then I'm going to go to the church down the road that has a better church ministry. Uh, and that music, oh my goodness, I, uh, the drums sometimes are a little loud, or maybe they're, they're not loud enough. Or I, I don't like the style of music. Or the, 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 the coffee. Couldn't they get like Arabica coffee or, or Starbucks coffee? My goodness, it's like Maxwell House. Now, I know I'm exaggerating to some degree, but there is actually truth to that. No, no, no. When we're family, guess what we do? We help set the table. We help tear down the table. We help clear off the plates. And in this church family, we need to help set up. We need help in the children's ministry. We need help in, in, in small group leaders. We have needs all over the place, and we respond to that because what? 
we're family. And by the way, family, this idea of family is why we do church membership. Church membership is not in the Bible anywhere, but it's, it's, you can get it as an application. And we do church membership because it's okay to take on the name of the church where you're going to be held accountable. It's okay to take on the name Mission View. And what it says is that this is the place that I want to be held accountable to living with integrity, to carrying out the mission that God has given me, and to love people as Jesus loved people. And that's why I want to be held accountable. Now, I know some people have said, well, when are we going to do a new membership class? Guess what? You're in it right now. We designed every one of the fall lessons to help you understand the ethos of what Mission View is all about. And so in December, we're going to have what we call an uh, affirmation of membership. And it will just have a statement that I believe you, will, you won't be foreign to you because you've heard it on Sunday morning. I believe you will agree with it. And if you want to be a part of this church, you just sign and you say, I'm, I'm committed to being a part of this church. And in the future, we'll have probably a more formal way of doing it. Number five, the church is a needed place of accountability. Let's move quickly. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now what I love about God's word is that he doesn't keep us guessing. God tells it directly to us. And he tells us what he expects. And what God expects is for us to regularly and consistently be a part of the church. And this speaks to us in terms of our attendance in being here. Why does God require, not Steve, God, why does God require uh, consistent attendance? It's because the church is the place where we do the one another's. We get to know one another. We get to love one another. We get to help one another. We get to find out about one another. By the way, when we do the commons area, it's not for us to get coffee and danishes. That's just the side benefit. We've heard over the years people say, you know what, I rush into church, I go to Sunday school, I go to church, and I get to know nobody. So we've deliberately designed a time for you to have an hour without your children so that you can actually get to know somebody in the church. Go there. We're not going to sign you up. It's not like a timeshare sales time, okay? It's just for us to know each other. Why? Because we're to do that because it's the church. And here's the final role. Role number six is the church is blessed with resources so as to fulfill the mission of God. 2 Corinthians 8 is an example. For in severe testing of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See, the Corinthian church was an extremely poor church, and yet they got what the church was all about. 
You see, they understood that God had designed the church that he would bless them, and out of their blessings, they would make provisions so that the work of ministry, and in this case, there was a need for the church to be able to meet with relief needs in the community. And so they got that. And that is God's design for the church today. And we're going to hear more about this on December 1st, but it's through the generosity of godly people that say, yeah, I get the mission. I understand. And I want to give back of the Lord what he has given to me so that I can supply the mission of God. It's not through gimmicks. I promise you we will never sell prayer cloths here. Okay? We're not going to do that. We're not going to have bake sales. We're not going to do have fundraisers. We're going to trust in the giving, the generosity of the local body who get the mission. Now, I want you to think about this. We've looked at six roles, and I want you to think about this one application question. And I hope you'll mull on it beyond today, and that is this. How are you going to be a part of this precious bride of Christ? When we understand all that God has done, all that God has done to develop this thing that he calls the bride of Christ, the love story, and the roles that he says that are to be true of the church, how are we going to respond? If we're passive, is that really what he wants? Or are we active? Are we going to be the person that can take it or leave it? Are we going to be the person that just comes and takes but doesn't give? Are we going to be the connoisseur? Or are we going to be the person who is different? My friends, if we have God's understanding of the church, then it will drastically affect our approach to the church. As the worship band comes up, I would like to share this last story. We're going to sing one song. And I, I often think that there's parallels in society with the church. And I think sometimes business can be that. Some people will approach business like people approach church. They'll go to their work of business. They'll go there to earn a paycheck, and then they just go home. Their place of business is nothing more than that. It's just a paycheck. For some people, coming to church is just the time to get fed, and I go home and I go on with life. This past week, I got a chance to go to a business owner's business this week and, and, and see what they were doing. And I was so encouraged by what I saw and heard. First of all, he said that there's very little turnover in his business of people leaving. They want to stay. And the reason that they want to stay is it goes beyond a paycheck. They have a mission as a, bu a business. They tithe on their business, and they help develop microfinancing in third world countries of pastors and ministries so that they could be self-established. This is a business that helps out orphanages. It's a business that helps out with medical clinics. And all the people in the business, lost and saved, are a part of the greater mission. And they don't want to go anywhere because this is a place where they get to talk about that mission. They get to support that mission. And they get to be a part of something. My friends, that's what I want for this church. I don't want you to come and get a paycheck. I want you to get fed. But I want you to be a part of something that will outlive every single one of us. Something that will matter for eternity. Is that what you want? Is that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? Think about that as we worship. And if you really agree with it, 
then sing with all of your hearts. My friends, it's about the Savior, the groom, and the bride, his church. Think about how you will be a part of this bride, about the body of Christ. Good morning, and do keep your mission in view. So go to the uh, commons, and for those of you that want to be a part of Equip, come and be a part of Equip. Uh, Mem's going to be sharing. Good morning.